Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. David Attenborough presents a single 30-something female attending a baby shower hungover. Our hungover 30-something is the last to arrive. As she enters the front door of the mother-to-be's single-family domicile, all eyes turn to her. She is startled by the attention, and her cheeks flush, as she had hoped to sneak in undetected. This is no ordinary baby shower. This is the co-ed baby shower, which means both males and children will be present. For the single thirty-something female, this starkly increases the discomfort level of the event, as it highlights both her lack of a mate and offspring quite effectively. It also results in both males and females inquiring endlessly into her dating life under the guise of concern, but with subtle undertones of the pride that comes with having already settled down. They have checked off more of the compulsory milestones humans covered than our thirty-something, but they also miss the thrill of the hunt. Take notice of the males, who will use this opportunity to linger near the single thirty-something, as they aren't typically allowed by their mates to enter situations where they might encounter single twenty and thirty-something females. Here comes one now. Our thirty-something has barely had time to drop her gift on the gift table before a male swoops in to hug her inappropriately. When unattached females are present, this particular breed of male tends to feel as though they are entitled to touch the female, simply due to the lack of another male suitor, a classic symptom of patriarchal society. Our thirty-something has clearly been in this position before, as she terminates the hug before he can manoeuvre his hand down to her lower lumbar upper buttocks region, and gracefully steps away to find the hostess. The mother-to-be has spotted our thirty-something, and makes a spectacle of standing up, one hand on her pregnant belly, and waddling over to our thirty-something. They hug and the gestating female comments that our thirty-something smells like tequila. I remember those days, she remarks smugly, rubbing her bulging abdomen. This is classic female peacocking behaviour, where one female asserts her superiority to the other due to her status in life. In this case, possession of a mate, a single family home, and the developing fetus in her belly. Our thirty-something may choose to rebut with a snarky comment, highlighting the advantages of her unattached life, or smile and acquiesce to the hostess. Being hungover, she lacks the vigour for such a passive-aggressive exchange, and opts for the obligatory smile. It's time for the opening of the gifts. The one fortunate thing about the co-ed baby shower is that the inane rituals known as baby shower games are eliminated.
it's not fully understood why the females subject themselves to activities such as sniffing a diaper rolled with counterfeit feces in order to identify the variety of melted chocolate bar or sucking on an ice cube with a miniature version of an infant frozen inside to see who can melt it first but will not subject the males to such rituals. Perhaps it is a form of self-denigration that the females have accepted as normal. The mother-to-be has selected our thirty-somethings gift to open next. She opens the parcel to reveal a tiny pink pair of baby headphones, used for the purpose of noise cancellation. Babies are incapable of operating Spotify, so these headphones serve as a defence for their delicate cochleas from loud music or offensive language. The crowd of thirty-somethings emits a collective awe, signalling that they approve of the offering. A small victory for our thirty-something. Once the attention has shifted to the next gift, our thirty-something discreetly helps herself to a mimosa, a mixture of champagne and orange juice, mostly champagne. She is utilising the hair of the dog, hoping it will stave off immediate symptoms of her hangover. She will suffer through them later, when she may hibernate in the silence and darkness of her bedding canopy. However, one more obstacle remains before our thirty-something is able to migrate. One of the mothers offers her infant to the thirty-something, extending the miniature human with outstretched arms. Do you want to hold her? For a new mother, there is no greater honour to bestow than the gift of permitting the childless single female to hold her infant. To our childless single female, however, this is a troublesome moment. She lacks comfort and experience with infants, yet it would be an affront to the entire pack if she declined. Our thirty-something assesses the risk and reward of both options and extends her hands to accept the infant. The infant nestles its heavy head into our thirty-something's chest. And try as she might, we see her soften towards the infant, taking a surreptitious whiff of the delicious baby smell secreting from its head. Our thirty-something realises that all eyes of the pack are on her and hands the baby back to its mother, relieved that no crying, retching or urinating happened while the baby was in her charge. The pack encircles the mother and her baby, forgetting about our thirty-something just long enough for her to slink out of the door and back out into the wild. Now, here's a conundrum for you. It is a busy day. It's a shopping day. It's a Saturday. But it's a day full of potential COVID people. I would say 30% of the people I have just been rubbing shoulders with are uh, not wearing masks. Uh, Now... Who have they been listening to, or have they been listening to no one? Difficult to say. Fairly irrelevant also. Uh, The uh, question I have 
is, I suppose, multi-pronged. First off, I am capable of walking from the bus stop down to the house without wildly exerting myself, at least not at the moment, and talking. I happen to be carrying possibly the heaviest, well, wheeling, the heaviest bag I've ever filled. And I'm wearing a mask. So, some weeks ago, that would have laid me down and I would not have started the task, let alone be likely to finish it. <laughs> you never can tell with, with tasks. I manhandled my heavy load all the way to the bus stop and a thought struck me. What idiot decided to make the queues at bus stops go the wrong way? I think the answer lies in the fact that buses now have multiple doors and they decided that uh, to enable people to have some idea of what bus is coming they put a sign up saying what was coming next but they couldn't afford to put up two so they'd have one at the so they could have one at the front of the queue and one at the back if it's a covered area but uh, didn't seem to think about it at all so if it's raining and you actually want to see the buses coming you've got to face backwards it's stupid it's not a good plan anyway i was thinking about these sorts of things then i noticed there was a trolley not dissimilar to the one i have here similarly filled to the gunnels but unattended i sort of looked at it for a bit wondered if the aged person who'd forgotten about it was going to wander back nothing appeared to occur so I issued a proclamation. No impact apart from some degree of confusion from some of the people standing nearby. Why is this man making a loud noise in public? This much I expected. I hoped there'd be some sort of response from somebody of a positive nature. Oh, it's mine. No such reaction. So I shouted again, this time directing myself into the body of the bus, into which a bloke who I thought was the owner had just entered and gone upstairs. I would have thought that my acting charged and presumably COVID and whatever saffron fixed me from free um, voice would manage to percolate all the way into the upstairs part of said bus no response what was i to do my bus arrived i got onto my bus just about managing to get said heavy load into it and the uh, the bag the other one is still there well i presume it is i don't know if it's going to be picked up by somebody it could be stolen by somebody nobody at any point considered that it was a bomb threat now in my day if you left a, a bag for any period of time at all for example i remember 
when I had a remarkably heavy suitcase that I was transferring from Nottingham to Ealing that uh, I wanted to know where on earth I could go without having to break every muscle in my body getting it there. So I walked over to two policemen who I'm pretty damn sure were watching me. I got to them and they of course were incredibly helpful saying, excuse me sir, you can't leave that there. Um, what a stupid sort of thing to say. Uh, they had seen it was mine. I was talking to them. It was hardly likely to go off, was it? It's hardly anything. No, not you. Today though, nobody gives a damn. This is good. This is good. Presumably, the lack of face masks is another example of disasters being gently forgotten and nobody giving a damn. The problem is, there is a massive disaster which is happening all the time. The biggest storm just about to ever hit uh, parts of the Gulf of Mexico uh, hit yesterday. I don't know that a storm surge hit, that was predicted to be one. But uh, we have unusually cold end of summer at the moment. Ludicrously hot days, hotter than uh, ever before on the planet, as measured by humans, this year. Uh, this wide range is exactly what climate change is. A wide range of unpredictable things that haven't happened before. How do we get people to bloody well remember and do something about it? Oh yeah, flying, that's another thing. Everybody's doing that still, again. Hello. gentlemen, the last night of the proms. There's been a lot of talk this year about what should be sung at the last night of the proms. Um, I think on two counts this is rather a pointless uh, set of discussions. Firstly, because there were no earlier nights of the proms, at least none to speak of, certainly none performed with an audience, and the proms are the proms because they have an audience. Uh, any concert is a fantastic and stupendous uh, human achievement, but it only becomes a prom if there are people standing listening to it. And uh, being a promer, I miss this. Proming has been a massive influence on my life. I, 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 I met my wife there, my first wife, as it turned out. That gives you an indication of perhaps some of the, uh, of the invalidities of what I'm going to say in the future. That, uh, that It was fun while it lasted. I enjoyed it hugely. I, I also met the mother of my children subsequent to a divorce. My wife of, of today, I have known for 17 years and been married for that length of time, and we met via the internet. But the proms is the thing I'm going to talk about now. 
The prom concerts for me were the way you found out about classical music. Now, what's classical music? Uh, and that is a question which is um, a, a completely open uh, issue, really. Uh, prom's music is anything composed in the last 600 years, and not just in the Western world, oh no, from absolutely anywhere. Now, some of the places that uh, have been included uh, have uh, involved various musical um, uh, types that I have not liked, uh, I've, I've not been fond of. Initially, that included Mozart. It took me some years before I could cope with Mozart, but then I heard a performance that really changed my attitude towards this stuffy, pretentious, boring, predictable stuff that I'd heard before. Now, this was the middle of, or maybe late 1970s, early, mid-1980s, when the performance style of Mozart and, indeed, classical works um, was rather stuffy. But then... Um, various people started introducing a more original style of performance with clarity and precision and jollity and some understanding of the reason why the composer wrote the notes that were written and the instructions that were given for the performance were actually taken into account by the performers. And people listened to it and thought, God, this is different. This is clean, this is clear, this is lively, this is alive. Even though the people who composed it have been dead for centuries sometimes. This, this form of performance makes music timeless. And I could appreciate it irrespective of when it had been composed or indeed who it had been composed by and for what reasons. Utterly un, un, unnecessary to know any of those things. I don't like modern view... Well, I'm not sure it's modern anymore. Things have changed so much. But when I grew up, I was not a fan of um, um, religion or the sorts of uh, uh, religious institutions that I was aware of as a child. And classical music, quite often when it was choral, uh, involved singing religious Christian um, songs and I found these to be both pretentious and uh, full of hypocrisy, uh, which was a difficult thing for me, a ten-year-old, to uh, decide, but I made that decision, and I stuck by it for a very, very long time. It's only in the last 20 or so years I have come across people who actually live by the, uh, the, the tenets of the religion, or indeed of any religion, and I can uh, accept and understand and, and, fully, and, and fully appreciate um, uh, the, the, the power of, of conviction. But at the time, I could not. But music helped me into an understanding of other people's way of life other people's thinking, and taught me that people have not changed over the decades. Society has. Ideas about how to do things have changed. The things that people could physically do have changed because of uh, industry and, 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 and social alterations. But the way people think, the feelings, are, are 
I wouldn't even say unique to humans. I would say show humanity, show a spark of life. And that is put across, to me at least, most perfectly through music. Now, there are musics that I cannot cope with. They are ones which have been written just to make money or just to aggrandise the performers. And um, quite often that is known as pop, or at least in my youth was thought of as that. I heard some years ago something that was described as being original reggae music. It was really good. And I could tell it was associated with the stuff that I was hearing on the radio and everywhere else that was called reggae. But there was a considerable difference. The original had real spirit and life and, and uh, authenticity. <sighs> the other stuff was just there to jump on whatever bandwagon happened to be rolling towards the largest amount of money available at the time. And I did not like that popular music I'm not interested in. I like music that lasts because of its quality. And quality of music, getting back to my subject, the proms, was what you heard every single night of 60 or so concerts at the Royal Albert Hall in Kensington Gore, SW72AP, London. And from 1974 onwards, I went to as many concerts as I possibly could. And from 76 to 89, I think I went to every single one there was. And I loved it. It formed my life. It was tremendous. And I cannot recommend it highly enough for anybody who happens to be a time traveller. Because you can't do it anymore. Not just because of COVID, but because people said, oh, it's dangerous to sit around in queues. You might be a bomber. You might be a target. Uh, you know, all these things are, are terribly dangerous. And it's expensive and people complain about noise. And, and, uh, and mm. uh, that was dispiriting. The quality of life diminished with the size of the brains expressing it. Uh, oh, God. So weakening. So the last night of the proms increasingly became just a flag-waving exercise. Lots of people who just came there to, to wave flags and to uh, shout various tunes they may have heard before. But hadn't actually come to any of the other concerts, hadn't enjoyed or appreciated or allowed themselves to learn the wonders of the, the other nights in the season. Anybody can. Everybody who went to all the last nights there have ever been is perfectly capable of really, really enjoying the wonders of every other night at the proms. And my sadness is that they don't know this. Some do. Many don't have the option to, to go, the opportunities to go. But many more don't even consider it a possibility. It's not physically possible for everybody to do it. The building has got a limited capacity, like 
all things, there are limits. And those few who have the ability to take advantage of being within that little cluster that fits within those limits, they have a duty to express the wonders that they learn and, and pass them on to the rest of the world so that other proms can be held in other places, in other continents, in other venues. Wouldn't diminish the quality of the ones we had. But there you go. So my rant, my ramble in this case is twofold. First, the point that I've made that concerts do not have the ability to have a core of regular attenders getting to know each other whilst waiting for the concerts for hour upon hour outside the hall or indeed for a few days sleeping outside the hall or as people did in my time sleep out for a fortnight for concerts at the hall this is not possible this is just not done and this year we couldn't even get into the hall. This is COVID. This is one of the extraordinary changes that have happened to society with the flick of a switch or with the eating of a bat, one or the other. Not sure <laughs> quite how it started, but um, pretty damn sure. But it was certainly our fault, humans. <laughs> but... Can we bring back the qualities of going to a concert and enjoying it with people? The feedback between an audience and the performers makes a concert. And a prom gives better performances from the performers than most other concerts because of that feedback, say the performers. They're delighted at being able to perform at all in the last two weeks, even though there was no physical presence of an audience. Was mostly relief at being able to perform at all. But the difference between that and performing to a hall of 5,000 people, many hundred of whom are standing and concentrating on the performance and the music and the musicians, the musicianship, the composition, the articulation, the musicality, the nuances, the subtleties, the everything else-ness, learning and digesting and, and helping <laughs> music become something transcendent. <sighs> yeah, well, it's, it's terrific. Now... The last night was therefore a party, a celebration, a wonderful thing that people could enjoy together and and really uh, get to appreciate as a as a as a super thing, a an experience with friends. One day at the last night perhaps the ninth or tenth last night I'd been to, I turned round and looked at the rest of the hall and I saw what everybody on television saw. 
people waving flags, red in the face, looking really rather unpleasant. Which is what I must have looked like for the preceding nine, ten years or 15 or something. And I could see that there is a problem with the perception of the last night of the proms. These traditions that the proms have haven't lasted very long, frankly. I mean, one of them, stamping, happened while I was there, chanting, started when I was there, singing of, of um, uh, uh, oh, crikey, I can't remember, uh, the, after the last, the, after the national anthem, uh, that started when I was there. The, the, a tradition that starts during your own lifetime isn't much of a tradition, it's just something you do. Uh, and it's, it's great, no, no problem, but it's not a sacred cow. And sacred cow shouldn't be sacred either, frankly, but there you go. Um, oh, dear. Things change, things should change, but let's keep the quality and the reason for these things. And you can only do that if you understand them, if you pay attention to the qualities. And that's what I want people to do because it gives me untold joy. And I want everybody to have that. That was one in a series of Torty Talks by Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk.